The North Carolina Healthcare Association is a proud sponsor of the Do Politics Better podcast. The association is a united voice for hospitals, health systems, and care providers to ensure they can offer high quality, lower cost care to all North Carolinians. Visit nchealthcare.org to learn more about how hospitals and health systems are working to make healthcare easier, more convenient, and with better outcomes. It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. Candidate filing has begun. Lots of news this week around candidate filing. It is shaking up the entire campaign landscape. We're going to try to tick through it, make sense of it, but a lot of news to uncover this week. So it started on Monday at noon, and starting on Monday, we got some retirements. Big news coming out of Winston-Salem. Senator Joyce Kravick put out a press release. She is not running for the Senate. Now, this is something she's floated in past sessions. Sounds like she's serious now. A candidate has already emerged. She's endorsed that candidate. We also heard from uh, Senator Dean Proctor in the Hickory area. He's out. Representative John Faircloth, High Point area. He's out. By the way, former Representative John Bluss filed for that seat this Mm -hmm. week. That was interesting news. Then we heard Representatives Rosa Gill and Marvin Lucas calling it quits. Additionally, Representative Kelly Alexander from Mecklenburg, he is not running again. And then there's some names that we had already heard or that are running for higher office. We knew that Speaker Tim Moore, he was going to run for Congress. He's been talking about that for quite some time. Even last election, he was trying to run for Congress. He is definitely in. We're going to get to the shakeup there. Uh, Representative John Hardister filed for Labor Commissioner on Monday. Representative Wesley Harris filed for State Treasurer. Uh, Representative Jeffrey Elmore, Lieutenant Governor. Rachel Hunt, Lieutenant Governor. Caleb Rudow, Congress. But, But then there's a big question mark around Representative John Bradford. He was supposed to run for State Treasurer, still may, but he's considering a run for Congress because we had huge news this week about our congressional delegation. So on Tuesday, the news hit like a bomb in NC Poll World when Representative Patrick McHenry said he was not running for re-election. Former Speaker of the House for about 22 days this fall when that whole mess up in D.C. blew up. He's calling it quits at the end of his term, which will be next December. And that had a ripple effect for Tim Moore. It had a ripple effect for John Bradford. And we have to mention, it could have a ripple effect down at the General Assembly because we're hearing names like Senator Vicki Sawyer, Representative Gray Mills. Are they thinking about getting into... Jason Sane. Oh, Jason Sane. Yeah, Representative Jason Sane. Are they getting in this 10th congressional district? We do know that Speaker Moore's opponent in the 14th district, Pat Harrigan, he went ahead and said, I'm moving over to the 10th. Curiously, he already had a video in the can on Tuesday when this news came. It was about an hour later. Yeah. So he could have recorded it then. It was a pretty 
good produced ad. It sounds like someone was tipped off. I know Danielle Battaglia, News and Observer, she covered this news on Tuesday and said a lot of this had to do with some campaign consultants working for Harrigan, campaign consultants working for Tim Moore. So there probably was some communication there, but big news. Uh, Big credit, people. We are. (laughs) (laughs) Congressman McHenry served a term in the General Assembly before getting elected to Congress. I think he's in his 20th year. He's 48 years old. So a lot of speculation as to what he's going to do next. Even as we're recording this podcast, we're paying attention to Twitter to see if there's any news out of this or in other parts of campaign filing. On Monday, when filing started, that congressional map challenge that we thought was coming, you know, weeks ago, that hit on Monday. And I'll go ahead and eat some crow. I had a theory that maybe Congressman Don Davis was telling him, nah, I think I can win here. But yeah, a a challenge to the maps came on Monday, the day of filing again. So they're asking for an injunction against uh, filing for office, or at least this primary as it deals with Congress. Does feel late, but I guess the attorneys know what they are doing. Yeah, so what was interesting is that a judge would obviously have to act pretty quickly on this, but the plaintiffs did not ask for an expedited hearing. So it's interesting to see how that timeline would work out. By the way, filing ends on December 15th, and the primary is March 5th. The Democratic Legislative Campaign Committee announced they're going to put $15,000 in initial spending towards trying to break the supermajority in North Carolina. Okay. (laughs) $15,000 does not seem it would buy a lot. No. When I read it this week, I thought, there must be a typo. Did they mean $15 million? That could make a difference. But $15,000? Yeah, I don't know. Curious. Yeah, you might be able to build a website with that, but we'll uh, continue to track that. Mm-hmm. Pay some influencers or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Additionally, this week, there has been some news around sports gambling and how that's going to be implemented. They announced this week, not going to be in time for the Super Bowl. So sorry to all the dads, brads, and chads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was thinking we'd get it in early January. Then we heard that date was punted and there was still some hope it would get here before the Super Bowl. But yeah, you're still going to have to have that out of state account activated if you're making a bet this year on the Super Bowl. You can bet on this. It will not be the Carolina Panthers. You got to kick everybody while they're down, don't you? Mm -hmm. So we got a poll this week out of East Carolina University Showed maybe some traction. Some of those lesser-known Republican candidates for governor are making. Yes. So while Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson still very much has a lead, Bill Graham is now up to 8% in that poll, and Dale Falwell has 7%, and Andy Wells coming in fourth with 3%. However, this is very similar to that last poll that we talked about, where there was a large number of people who were undecided. And in this poll, 49% of Republican voters said they're still undecided. We're seeing a lot of ads by Bill Graham. He's in the number two slot right now. 
you know, we're expecting him to take the gloves off and he's going to have to challenge Mark Robinson in order to eat into that lead he has. I expect we'll see some ads over the holiday taking issue with the lieutenant governor. By the way, there were some earned media this week that Mark Robinson got wasn't very positive. He was in a church this past week talking about God was going to get vengeance on his <laughs> Republican opponents. He had a staffer who tried to walk that back and just say, look, God's going to hold us all accountable at some point. But that was not how it was heard. And Treasurer Del Falwell, who, by the way, filed this week for governor, uh, he seemed to take the biggest offense by it. Bill Graham took a pass on it. But uh, imagine just more words we're going to see in ads coming up, whether it's by these Republican challengers for governor or it's going to come out in a fall ad by likely nominee Josh Stein on the Democratic side. We sat down with Representative Willis at the end of session. So it was like six weeks ago. Hmm. And it was such a great interview that I cannot wait to hear it again. The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina. Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. Representative David Willis, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Good morning. Start us off by telling us about your district. Where is your current district? What makes it special? So my current district is just south of Charlotte. Uh, we're in Union County. So I'm in the northwest portion of, of Union County. And we are kind of a combination of Charlotte suburbs and, uh, you know, traditional Union County folks. We've got a lot of equestrian farms uh, in our area, which a lot of people don't really know about. And we've got a lot of you know, families, folks that were looking to get away from some of the uh, hustle and bustle of Charlotte, if you will, and, and wanted some more space and their neighbors not right on top of each other. We like our space. We like our, uh, you know, our, our neighbors uh, just down the street a little bit. And, uh, you know, we, uh, we've got a great place to raise families. Uh, we, you know, we've got a, a huge family population, uh, you know, the sports leagues down there just overflowing with kids, the schools. I mean, it's just a, it's a great place to raise a family and to, uh, you know, to live and to work. You moved to Union County a while back. Where are you from? So that's an interesting question. So I kind of grew up all over. Uh, my parents divorced when I was little and my mom raised me. And so we kind of settled in Eastern North Carolina in Wilson. Uh, I kind of consider Wilson home because I've lived well until Union County I'd lived there longer than anywhere else she remarried when I was in high school so we moved to Greensboro and then I went to Appalachian State from there I moved to Charlotte for work and um, you know that one thing led to another I went to work for GE and um, moved to their plastics headquarters which was in western Massachusetts at the time it's been a couple of years there went to China uh, and that's actually where I met my wife um, you know she and I were working in the same office in Shanghai uh, and actually a funny story I mean we actually met at the company Christmas party in Shanghai working for GE I mean mm -hmm. what are the you know the odds and so it's funny. she moved in she was in uh, the hydro power hydroelectric power business for GE and was in Beijing and had moved to Shanghai the same month I moved to Shanghai and we ended up meeting at the company Christmas party. So it was, uh, it was a pretty interesting story. We moved back to the States and then I took a job in Atlanta shortly after she took a job in Charlotte. So then I followed her to Charlotte. She took a job with Bank of America and I followed her a year later to Bank of America. And then in 2005, we actually got an opportunity to go back to China. So we went to Beijing for three years, it was from 2005, 2008. We were in Beijing 
And we came back, obviously, at a you know a very interesting time in U.S. history. And right at the beginning of 2009's financial crisis uh, was looming at that point, and it was either come home now or stay and you know and, and good luck to you. And so we said, uh, we'll, we'll come home because she was six months pregnant with our second child, and. He said, okay, it's a good time to come back home. And so we came back home and we've been back in Union County ever since. And um, hopefully we'll, we'll call that home for hopefully a long time. Was she yeah. born and raised in China? She was, yeah, in Southwest China and Sichuan province. And so up until her early 20s, she was you know, born and raised. What mm-hmm. is that like for her, for you? You, She's immigrated here mm. and that must be, have its challenges and opportunities, right? It does. You know, I kind of joke, I, you know, I had to go halfway around the world to find a good Southern girl. Um, <laughs> but, uh, she really is, um, you know, and, and as conservative as, as anyone, you know, other than the food, honestly, I mean, she loves it here and, and, uh, it's, uh, she's bought in, you know, to our system here and the opportunities that we have. I mean, obviously, you know, we see what happens in China and some of the challenges are happening there. And, you know, I won't go into some of that, but the, you know, there's some family history there with her that, um, you know, she very much supports our way of life and, sure. and, and our beliefs and, and our values here. And it's certainly been interesting over the years. And she likes to joke that, you know, she spoke English when she got here, but she didn't speak Southern. Uh, so it took her a little while to, uh, especially with some of my family, uh, it took her a little while to adjust to some of that. And uh, she'll kill me for that. But um, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's funny. It, it, it certainly is its own language sometimes. So yeah. Isn't it interesting how folks who come from the most communistic countries come and they seem to really be conservative? Because they see the perils of communism. Well, I think you've kind of got a dichotomy there. I mean, you've got folks who understand the history, understand what they're giving up and, and how they're being manipulated and controlled. Then you've got others who've come over and maybe were, say, you know, children when they came or they were in college when they came and kind of came up and were brainwashed. I mean, just call it what it is. And they have a different take on some of those things where it's okay, well, you know, that's not all bad or they're doing it for the, it's the, it's the, it's the common good. Mm-hmm. They haven't seen the reality of what's happening on the bad side of it. And, and, and that it's, you know, that they're being manipulated. It, it's just, yeah. Okay. You know, that sounds great. And I think it's what a lot of our young folks today, I mean, they don't understand the real history behind it. They aren't being taught depth within some of these concepts, you know, every communist regime in the world put itself there through, you know, the deaths of many, many people. And uh, it's not been good. That's the reason it hasn't worked. And so, um, you know, we need to do a better job of educating our folks here about that. Absolutely. Does she go back much to see family, friends? Or? So her family's still there. Uh, we used to travel back quite frequently and then COVID hit and, you know, we haven't been back. So it's probably been six or seven years since we've been back. And, and honestly, um, you know, I don't know at this point, just because of our family life and situation, when we'll get a chance to go back. Her parents come over and visit us quite a bit. And uh, so they're able to travel and do that. But we haven't been back over there in a while. So maybe... Maybe one day when, you know, when, I mean, you know, they're still dealing with the effects of COVID and travel restrictions and all of this. And then, you know, there's a lot of other things going on with the social scoring and, and restrictions and, and cracking down on a lot of that. And so there's just a lot of things going on over there. So I'm not sure, you know, when we'll decide to make that trip again. So you talked a little bit about your wife. You mm-hmm. also have three kids. And if I recall, I've seen your kids at the General Assembly with you <laughs> before. Can you kind of talk mm-hmm. about being in office with three? young ones yeah it, it's it's kind of a, a double-edged sword I mean you know part of the reason that I got into this was for my kids for my family uh, but you you know you do miss 
that time with them. And so it's a, it's a struggle. My boys are 15 and 16. My daughter just turned eight this past week. Happy birthday, baby girl. You know, my boys have been able to come up and, and spend some time, especially my, my youngest son, Jackson, who's a sophomore in high school this year. He loves this. I mean, he's the one I think that I look at and he said, he's probably the one to, uh, you know, take me out one day. He's kind of, he's kind of threatened to primary me once he turns of age, but we'll, you know, we'll see what that path leads for him. But you know, he loves this, uh, you know, type of environment and, and he, you know, he's really big into speech and debate and all of that. And so he loves the history and, uh, you know, just smart as a whip. And, um, you know, he, he, he just really enjoys this. I mean, the funny story we spent, I guess it was two summers ago. Uh, we spent about five hours. They were here one week and they had the luxury of being here during the budget debate. They literally spent five hours during appropriations going through the budget and they handled up better than some of our colleagues or some of us did. I mean, it was a struggle, you know, obviously you're in there hammering through for five solid hours and they were just, you know, intrigued as to what's going on. And, um, you know, so that was, you know, it's always be a good memory for me, but, um, you know, they like it and they like to come up. My older son now is swimming. And so his schedule has just gotten crazy. And so he, I don't know much, how much time he'll have to come back and do some of that. But, you know, my youngest son, hopefully he'll continue to want to come up and spend some time when he has time away from school. And then, you know, my daughter's eight. So she's just kind of, you know, she comes up when we do the swearing in and that kind of thing. But um, she's not quite there yet with it. So we'll see. Let's back us up a little bit. Talk about you growing up in Wilson. You mm-hmm. moved to Greensboro. You as a, a young kid like to know when the political bug hit you. You kind of reverenced your sons here. They they they're paying attention. When did you dial in, and what was it like growing up with a single mom? Mm. So I grew up kind of aware of politics, but not engaged at all. I mean, I was you know I, I was a ripe age of you know forty something when I uh, you know kind of got into that, and so it's I mean literally it. Uh, just had no interest for me. I was, uh, you know, a young man that was focused on, uh, you know, whatever it was I was doing at the time and, and going to school and, and getting a job and, um, traveling and working and doing all of that. And, and it just never really interested me. Um, you know, I mean, I was aware I voted, you know, we've kind of followed along what was happening, but I never would have put myself in this position. Um, and then one day in 2016, I was just kind of looking around, looking at the landscape of what's happening and going, really? this is the best we can do. And, uh, you know, I say, you know what, I've got a job that affords me some flexibility. Um, you know, my wife works and, and, you know, we can afford to, you know, kind of step forward and, and do this, which isn't something that everybody can do. And I said, if I've got the opportunity, you know, I need to set the example for my kids. And, um, I just feel like the Lord had blessed us with a, a point where, you know, we were able to, to step forward and do it. And I said, if I don't do this, how do I look at my kids 20 years from now? And they asked me the question, daddy, what did you do? how could I answer that question? And I said, I have to, I have to try. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what led me here. Mm-hmm. Wilson's a democratic stronghold. At least it used to be. Mm-hmm. I know it's trending Republican. Southern Democrat. That's yeah, right. We'll, that we'll, old we'll school. It, yeah. yeah. That conservative Democrat. Mm-hmm. However uh, you want to describe it, did you identify as a Republican once you registered to vote or is that something you came to over time or now, honestly, uh, you know, my earliest memories of politics and, and getting involved in that, I mean, obviously governor hunt was from Wilson. And so that was always kind of exciting. If we got to, you know, with our schools there, occasionally we'd get to meet him or go to something where he was at. And so you kind of, you were aware of that, but the party side back then to me, at least at that young age, wasn't pushed one way or the other. You kind of found your own niche and, and kind of followed where you were at. But I, I remember as a young man watching Reagan and he was the one that really 
got me interested in, in, in kind of watching and, and, and obviously you, know, you, you see in his speeches, you see him kind of come up and, and, and how his uh, humor, um, you know, people, I think, forget about that a lot of time, his humor and how he, he just seemed like a normal guy. And I think that, that kind of, uh, you know, caught my attention. And, and he's the one that I really kind of remember early on and, and then watching, obviously, through his time in office. And uh, everybody remembers the uh, tear down this wall speech mm-hmm. and, and, and all that. And so it was uh, it was an interesting time. And then obviously, when I was in high school, uh, coming through, I mean, we were having the first Gulf War and some of that. So there was, con- you know, concerns about that point. Okay, well, what are, are we going to go to war? What are we going to do? Are we going to enlist? Or, you know, are we going to draft it? I mean, what's, you know, what's going on? As a young man, you're you know, in that age, you're, you're not aware or, you know, certain of the scale of some of these things. And so, um, you know, that was kind of my first you know, foray into, at least from a periphery perspective, being involved and engaged in it. But I never, you know, really got involved in the party politics or any of that. It was always just, you know, I was interested in my own thing. Let's talk about that moment where you go down to the state board of election and put your name on the line and say you're running for office. What was that like? You know, honestly, I mean, it felt like something I was being led to do. I mean, I'm a okay. uh, you know man of faith and sitting in church one morning in 2016, I just felt like the Lord was speaking to me. And I didn't really know what at that point in time, but I felt like he was saying, look, I, I haven't blessed you with what I've blessed you with for you to sit on the sidelines any longer. Like it's time for you to get involved. And then a week later, I'm watching a, uh, a video online and Franklin Graham was in Oklahoma City doing his 50 uh, city capital or 50 state capital tour. And he was talking about, you know, men of faith and women of faith getting involved and serving and, and giving back. And, and the light bulb just went off and I said, okay, what am I passionate about? Where do I think I can make an impact? And, and, you know, North Carolina being a Dillon rule state, a lot was decided at the state level. And so I looked at that and I said, okay, you know, who, who's serving for us in the state house right now or the state Senate and, and what does that landscape look like? So I started reading up about that. I honestly, a week later, I called Craig Horn out of the blue, never met him before. And, uh, you know, Craig answers the phone and I said, Hey, let's have a cup of coffee. And we did. And, you know, we got to, to know each other and became friends. And, and, you know, he just kind of said, well, you know, this uh, probably going to retire, you know, in the, in the not too distant future. And, and I thought, okay, well then, you know, let's, what can I do in the next couple of years to learn and, and figure out how the system works? I came to Raleigh, traveled up here quite a bit, met a lot of folks. I, uh, actually, you know, raised my hand and, and served on the state community college board, um, for a couple of years and learned about, you know, the, the higher side of education on that serving in the early childhood side in my personal life. And, and so I just immersed myself as much as I could. I was on the PTO at the elementary school back home where my boys were in. And so I was just, I just threw myself in and, and learned as much as I could. And, and, uh, you know, and then it started helping folks and, and had the, you know, the, the fortunate opportunity to, to meet Dan Bishop, you know, doors just started opening and, and started meeting folks. And, uh, you know, one thing led to another and then 2020 came around and said, okay, it's, it's time to go. So you talked a little bit about your jobs and traveling, but you haven't yet talked about your current business. Can you tell us about that? I decided to leave corporate America back in 2011. Funny enough, I was on uh, the team at Bank of America that went to New York with the Merrill Lynch acquisition in 2009. So I spent most of 2009 in New York. My boys were young at the time, you know, one and two. And I just thought, you know, this is not the life that I wanted as a, as a father. I mean, growing up without a father in my life, I, you know, I always said if I had the opportunity to be there, I was going to be there and I was going to be all in. 
And I just said, you know, this is not what I want. And so I knew I wanted to get out of corporate America. I wanted to have some schedule flexibility to be able to be there and, and you know, be, the, be around them more. And uh, so we started looking at, at business opportunities and ideas. And I always liked working with families, working with children and had been in sales and marketing. I said, okay, you know, sales and marketing is, you know, sales and marketing. You can sell or market any product or service. You just, you know, you have to find the right one. And so I, you know, I said, okay, well, you know, we've got a huge need for childcare. I mean, literally there was a church program that was the largest in our area that people were camping out overnight just to get into because the demand was so high and we're like, okay, you know, so there's a huge opportunity for this. As you mentioned earlier, Union County is growing vastly. We were on the route that, you know, feeds right into Charlotte. And so we found a property that was perfect in a business park right across the county line. You know, there were multiple elementary schools right within a three mile radius and said, okay, this is a perfect spot. And so we, uh, you know, we opened a private preschool um, there in 2011. And, uh, you know, my boys were uh, three and four at the time. You know, we, we built the experience that we wanted for them. And I thought that would resonate with other families and it has, and it's done really well. And so here we are what, 12 years later and, uh, you know, going into another school year and uh, it's, it's going really well. And this is a body of work. I know you're working on a lot of issues at the General Assembly, but you've been identified as a leader for early childhood education in the General Assembly. You get reviews from your colleagues, Republican and Democrat, who say, this guy gets it. He understands the system. He understands the model. He understands what needs to be improved and what we need to make more investment in. Can you talk a little bit about your leadership within that early childhood education caucus? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the early childhood caucus. And so... You, so uh, Jim, Senator Jim Bergen and I on the Republican side and, and Representative Ashton Clemens and Senator Jay Chaudhry on the Democrat side got together and said, you know, we're going to form a, a caucus around early childhood education. And, you know, I think I'm the first person in the General Assembly, at least currently, that, that has, um, you know, experience directly in early childhood. And so, uh, you know, a lot of times up here, you know, people say, well, why aren't people fighting for this, that or the other? And sometimes it's just you know, you don't have someone with that background or that expertise. And so nobody's just kind of raising the flag going, Hey, I'm out here to champion this. And so when I stepped in, um, you know, three years ago, I, I saw the opportunity. I knew what we were coming through with COVID and, and where we were going to end up as the federal side kind of unwound and, and, you know, the dollars and support kind of dwindled that we were going to be in a big hole and we already were to a certain degree. And so we've worked on things I think that aren't Republican or Democrat issues. They're, you know, family and child issues and, and what we need for our workforce. And I think, you know, we're seeing it now. And, and to me, early childhood is kind of a multi-pronged issue where it's obviously educational related, but it's also workforce and, and uh, economic related. If, if, you know, the parent doesn't have somewhere to send that child, they can't go to work. And then the employer doesn't have someone to help, you know, run their business. And so it's, it's just, it's a multi-layered issue that I think we're starting to kind of grasp, you know, holistically in the general assembly and, and, you know, something that we need to continue to put focus on, I think, is it's going to be critically important for the state of North Carolina. Yeah. The quiet resignation we heard about a lot of it had to do with parents saying, yeah, weighing what I pay for early childhood education versus what I make. Uh, I think I'll just not work. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a real discussion that a lot of parents sit down and have. I mean, at the end of the day, if you're paying, you know, full price for childcare and going to work and, and you're only making, you know, median salary, you've got to look at it and say, okay, well, is it worth it at the end of the day to come home with this in my check versus just staying home and cutting costs and then I get to be full time with my child? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a real 
uh, concern for a lot of parents. It does make it difficult. And I think, uh, you know, obviously the, the cost and inflation of what we've seen have driven up costs from, I mean, wages have gone up significantly. Uh, you know, the price of everything that we pay for from, you know, insurance to uh, diapers to food to, you know, everything has just gone up significantly. And then that's driving up the cost of, of child care as well. And so it's not a, uh, you know, it's, it's not an area that you, you make a ton of money in. Um, you know, the margins are thin and, and, you know, there's a fine line between, you know, the number of students that you have making money and losing money. And that can happen very quickly. And, you know, at the state level, we need to be more aware of, you know, how that actually works and, and, and the importance of, of that and, and how much it's going to cost because it's, you know, it's costing our employers, it's costing our state. And we've got to find a path forward that is a nonpartisan path that both sides can come together and agree on and, and figure out, you know, where are we willing to pay for? What can we pay for? And then how do we maximize that? It leads into obviously everything that's happening within K-12 as well. I mean, we talk about the kids coming in behind far too many of our students aren't on grade level with reading and writing and math and you know and it starts at that pre-k level and and then it filters in Um, now it's not the magic wand that's going to solve everything in education certainly that's got to continue on as you get into k-12 but it you know it's having a solid foundation and and you can see i mean if you walk into a kindergarten classroom within five minutes even the untrained eye can determine which kids had been in preschool and which kids hadn't. Right. And there's a huge difference. And even if it's not just the educational piece of it, it's sometimes it's a socialization piece. How do I act? How do I follow, you know, kind of the, the rules, so to speak? How, can I sit and listen and, and behave and do these things? And uh, I mean, it, makes a, it makes a big difference. It's been one of the most positive evolutions I've seen over my two decades at the General Assembly is seeing policymakers understand what you just said, that, you know, we put so much weight on college, we put so much weight on K through 12, but it seems like over the last 10 years, I remember Senator Tom Tillis, then Speaker Tom Tillis, really did talk about that disadvantage kids have when they don't have early childhood access, because it, it really is those first four years are just as important as those last four years in college. I, I mean, honestly, in, in coming out of COVID and where we're at right now, I mean, you might even make the argument that it's more important. When we came up, you couldn't get an interview with a major company unless you had a degree. The job market and the lack of, uh, you know, available folks, you know, to come and work, I think have changed that dramatically. And they've looked at now and said, do you have the skill set to do what we need you to do? And so it's not that four-year bar anymore. And a lot of folks are looking around going, well, if I can get this job without a four-year degree and spend $150,000 and going into debt and doing all that, I mean, why do I need to do that? Or, you know, I can go out and get a, you know, what we traditionally call a blue-collar job, but, you know, welding or truck driving or, you know, heavy equipment operating or, you know, a number of things and, and make close to six figures within a year or more. You know, why, why do we need to do that? And so I think a lot of folks are looking at that now, and I think that dynamic has shifted. And obviously the forecast on the higher ed side is dwindling uh, as we go forward. And so I would like to see us put more focus around the early childhood side, get them off to a good start, uh, and then help them along the way. And then, you know, once they get to post-secondary, we can look at what are the real needs and what, what are the skills that you need to have? And, you know, do we need to have, you know, four years of college to, you know, to get you where you want to go? Or do you have the ability to start working and then go back to college? If you, I mean, if you want to be an entrepreneur, start your own business at some point, go back and get those classes that you need to understand how to run and manage your own business. So uh, I think there's a number of different paths out there. And I think a lot of kids and, and a lot of families' eyes have been open to that. And it's going to be an interesting time in, in education, I think, as we go through the next 10 years. Based on the way you have answered questions, I can tell you're a high information person. 
how has that been at the General Assembly with so many bills and so many different topics? How do you go about reading or deciding what you want to work on? There's areas that I came in to work on specifically like education. Uh, there are other areas that I kind of fell into that I found out that I had a tremendous passion for as well, like our veteran space. Done a lot of work around veteran space. I did the Wounded Heroes Day Act, which is you know one of my proudest moments. And you know, and, and I've gotten since then into law enforcement issues and other things, and then foster care and, and other spaces involving family and children. You can't be an expert on everything, and so you kind of have to pick and choose. And there are areas that I have to look at my colleagues and say, okay, you're the expert in land development. You're the expert in tax reform. You're the expert in, you know, whatever. And, and so I, I'm going to trust in you on some of that, but, and I'm going to read and try to learn it and, and understand as much of it as I can, uh, and ask the right questions. But I, you know, I can't take on everything. I think you just have to be okay admitting that and, you know, trusting that, that what we're doing and listening to both sides of the argument on a specific issue kind of helps inform what you're going to do when, you, when it comes time to vote on something. Sky said you're a high information person. That's obvious. I also see a hard charging person, a guy who comes out of the corporate world, bottom line. Uh, you want to get things done. You're a delegator. You're a leader. And I want to put it in a little context. Of, you know, you're sitting around the building, General Assembly, and we're always kind of like, who's going to be the next guy, right? Or woman, for that matter, that's moving up, maybe higher office, maybe even leadership in the General Assembly. Your name gets mentioned a lot, Representative Willis, as someone to keep an eye on. So, uh, you know, not trying to pigeonhole you into anything, but just I'm going to ask a broad question. Do you have other political aspirations? You know, I'd be lying if I didn't say I, I, I didn't think about it from time to time. But, um, you know, for me, I felt like, I mean, literally this was a calling for me. Okay. And so I don't know where that's going to lead. Um, I've got an eight-year-old daughter who I want to be home with and, and be there, you know, Friday night lights and, and all of that stuff as she grows up and a part of, uh, you know, her life. My boys are in high school now, so it's a little easier with them, but I am missing out quite a bit with them. And, you know, we'll, we'll see what the future holds, but uh, nothing imminent right now. So, But you're open to other callings. Uh, well, when the Lord calls, you follow. So <laughs> you um, that's, you know, I, you know it, it may be scary, but, um, you know, I think you, if he opens the door, you, you have to go. Fair enough. Yeah. So our politics are pretty divided right now. Mm. If you had a magic wand and you could change anything in our politics today, what would it be? Oh, gosh, that's a, a big question. It'd have to be an awfully big wand. Um, <laughs> I will note that you already said the words magic wand in our interview. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. I did. I that's did. True. We've just some become so polarly divided, I think, and... and terms of how we view and, and, and think, I, I try to be an optimist. And I think the majority of Americans are not caught up in that side. I think we've got a group on this side, a group on the other side. And, and I think there are in pure numbers, minority groups within that, but they've taken control of kind of both parties. And I think the vast majority, maybe 60% or more of, of, of Americans still kind of sit somewhere in the middle of both sides and, and lean one side or the other, but kind of towards the middle. And I, I think they're looking for the adults in the room to stand up and say, wait a minute, you know, this is, this is crazy. I, I think if we had a magic wand, it would be to kind of quiet down the fringes uh, a bit and return back to some more centrist, uh, I think approaches to that. Now it doesn't mean that you have to kind of be a moderator or give way on your beliefs. I mean, I, I feel like I'm a, you know, pretty 
uh, I don't want to say ultra conservative, but I'm you know pretty firm in my beliefs and, and, and my foundation with where I'm at. So I don't think you have to give up on that. But you can have rational dialogue. You can have debate civilly and, and have conversations around difficult topics that don't have to devolve, you know, uh, evolve into arguments and, and fights over, you know, something. And, and, and we lose focus on, uh, you know, who we're actually helping. And I, and I think you see that a lot of times now in just the way that people vote. You get you get folks voting just so they can go back to their base and saying, hey, I, you know, I fought against this or, or whatever. And, and that may not have been the best thing to do. You could have maybe done something for your community, but doing so politically may hurt you. Right. And so, you know, I, I said when I came up here, if I uh, ever got worried about polls or, uh, you know, public opinion on something it was the day I would go home. I'm going to follow my heart, what I think is right and, and what, you know, I think we, you know, what we want and, and the future that I want for my family. Um, and then we'll let the chips fall where they may. You seem to live your magic wand. I know you're a conservative, your voting record conservative, but we hear from both sides of the aisle, but notably Democrats who say, this guy's really accessible to us at a time when you don't have to be accessible to Democrats. You guys have super majorities, but he gets it. He listens to us, might not agree with us, but we can have a conversation with Representative Willis. Mm -hmm. By the way, for listeners out there, Union County is ruby red. So, I mean, yeah. you, you really have, you know, you could just ignore the Democrats mm -hmm. and their suggestions to you. You could not show up to the Early Childhood Caucus, but you do it. Yeah, I think we, you have to be open. I think it kind of goes back to my corporate days, right? I mean, you have to be able to listen and be collaborative with folks. And that's what I, I try to do. Now, I may not agree with your point. Right. And I may not ultimately say, yeah, we want to do that. But I mean, if you don't listen, at least, and try to find some common ground within that, then, you know, it, it's it's likely going to make it more difficult. And, and then, you know, we have to realize, I mean, we've got a, split, a state, excuse me, that's split. And, you know, not everyone in, in the state is a Republican or, or wants to see things done a certain way. I mean, you look at school choice, for example. I mean, school choice was a big topic in, in this year. And, and I'm one that believes that you can provide school choice and improve the public school system at the same time. It's not an either or. And right. so I think we need to do both because we can't give up on, on, on those kids and, and uh, you know, the families who don't have options for choice because they're in a, you know, a school choice desert or, uh, you know, they're in a poor county or whatever. I mean, we can't give up on those kids and not help them. And so I think we've got a responsibility to do that. And, and I try to look at it as like, what do I want for my children? And then how do we impart that upon, you know, the rest of the state so that everybody has that same opportunity? Well, Representative David Willis, we appreciate everything you're doing in North Carolina politics, your service in the North Carolina House. You certainly know how to do politics better. Thank you for being on the podcast today. Oh, I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. The Do Politics Better podcast is sponsored by the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association. Beer and wine distributors in North Carolina are family-owned companies that directly employ more than 5,600 men and women across the state. The North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association works with the General Assembly to develop alcohol policies that ensure fairness in a competitive marketplace and promote responsible behavior. Visit the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association at ncbeerwine.com for more information. One question I wish we had asked Representative Willis was about his involvement in that road rage incident that happened between oh, him yeah. and Speaker Tim Moore earlier in the session. They were out in eastern North Carolina, maybe Wilson, driving back to Raleigh, and someone came up and rammed the Speaker's truck and 
What? It feels like that was so long ago. <laughs> no. And I was thinking after we concluded the interview, man, I wonder what it was like to get uh, Representative Willis's perspective. Maybe we need to have him back on. But, you know, he looked okay. Everything was great. It was a fun interview. Thank you, Representative Willis, for joining us on the podcast. Tweet, tweet of, of the, the week. week. The Tweet of the Week is sponsored by the North Carolina Pork Council, representing hog farmers around the state working hard to do agriculture better. Today, hog farms are reducing their carbon footprint by covering lagoons, reducing emissions, and generating renewable natural gas. To learn more, visit ncpork.org. This week's Tweet of the Week is from Dallas Woodhouse. He's at Dallas Woodhouse on Twitter. I'm sure y'all know where to find him. (laughs) It was after Representative Patrick McHenry had said he wasn't running again, and Dallas had tweeted saying somebody is going to switch races. And Colin Campbell said, not Bo Hines. And so he quote tweeted that, and it says, the political transfer portal is alive and well. (laughs) And it was a transfer portal this week. Yeah. You should do it in Dallas's voice. That's how I read his tweets in that <laughs> Dallas Woodhouse voice. Like he's you do it then. Like he's at the bada bing over at the Sopranos. You know, just <laughs> the transfer portal is alive and well. It's <laughs> pretty good. That's actually. pretty good. Yeah. All right. All apologies to Dallas. Don't come for me here. No, but, do come for him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's making fun of you. Uh huh. So I asked you today if you knew about the word of the year oxford's word of the year Mm -hmm. and i was like it's riz what did you say you thought it meant i didn't know it's a curious word i I have i really had no idea and then when you told me the meaning i still have a hard time making the connection between the sound of the word well with the meaning the meaning for the word I'll read the Oxford definition, styled charm or attractiveness, or the ability to attract a romantic partner. Now, think about the word charisma and shorten. I see it. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. So they put, they did essentially like a bracket challenge for who was going to win or what was going to win word of the year. Oxford did this. Yeah. The dictionary. So people voted on it and then they chose. So... It beat out other words. Swifty. We all know what that means. Situationship. I don't know what that means. Oh, that's like, you have like a kind of a relationship with this person, but you're not dating. So it's not like a relationship. It's like you're in a situation with them. Does it imply romantic? It's like just, yeah, not like a formal relationship. Oh, beige flag. That was big on TikTok this year. I taught you about that. Yeah, beige meaning boring. So, you know, there are red flags when Mm -hmm. you're dating someone to, you know, this was a red flag, should have known. And then there are green flags, which also got popular this year to talk about your partner's green flags, the things that are good, you know, go in their pro column. Mm -hmm. But beige flags are just something that it's like, it's boring. It's not a red flag. It's not a green flag. It's nothing burger. So if you were dating a guy who watches the 4 o'clock, 4.30, 5 o'clock, 5.30, and 6 o'clock news, that would be a beige flag. Like, it's yeah. not a concern, but yeah. like... It's, they only stop watching the news to then participate in Jeopardy. <laughs> so, so that would also be a beige flag. Yeah. He watches Jeopardy after, uh, and that's aspiring, right? Because he prefers Wheel of Fortune. No, he prefers Jeopardy. 
he does. Okay. So that's a beige flag. Yeah. So, would you hashtag that? So a on? beige flag for you would be, you can't dress yourself. <laughs> it's like, it's not bad, <laughs> but it's definitely not good. Yeah. So I'm, You're I'm, wearing those moccasins. My, my Buster Brown wallabies. You don't like those? <laughs> I mean, these are Walter White style shoes I'm wearing. You know, blue slacks with a hoodie and a Cubs hat. I don't see what's wrong here, but that would be a beige flag. Mm-hmm. Okay. Another word that it beat out was de-influencing. That's what? Getting people to not uh, follow something? Yeah, or encouraging people to reduce their consumption of material goods. That has become popular this year with the rise of influencers. Mm. Like, there will be like TikToks that are like de-influencing you to buy blah, blah, blah. Wait, but how does that play out? Like, you know, you hear a lot about this product. Let me tell you why you don't need it. Oh. Or a lot of people this year on like Amazon Prime Day said it's Prime Day. But just remember, if you don't need anything, don't buy anything. Oh, okay. Yeah. So a lot of TikTok things. Yeah. Which leads me to... Well, let me ask you, did you vote in this bracket? No, no, no. Okay. But Riz won out. And so now the, the play on this, right, is that we can start using this word and people will not be able to say, oh, that's not a word. No, it's in the Oxford Dictionary. Mm-hmm. Word of the year. Yeah. And so, hence, you'll go out and buy a new dictionary because Riz is in the dictionary. But maybe you'll have a de-influencer saying, hey, you don't need to buy a new Oxford Dictionary. You could always look it up online. Yeah. Look at me. Look at you. This reminds me of yesterday when you sent me something funny and I sent you the casket. And you said, who died? <laughs> you said you were dying of laughter. I said, that's what the kids are supposed to say now. Instead of using the like skull and bones, which means dead, you know, like, oh, it's so funny. I'm dead. Okay. <laughs> Don't you feel like we waste so much time explaining what we're shortening and it's just all comes out in the wash, right? So I had to ask you, what does the casket mean? Or I have to look up when you put whatever the shortening is. The girls that get it, get it. And the girls that don't, don't. Yeah, I spend so much time looking these things up. It is true. But it's like it's the Gen Zification of it all. Because, you know, like now millennials aren't supposed to use the word chuggy, which is a word they made up about millennials. Oh. But if you're saying, oh, like you look a little chuggy today, like now they're like, you're, you're not supposed to use it. I've never heard the term chuggy. Yeah. It means like a word just they made up just to make fun of millennials. Like if you do something that's like very millennial, eat avocado toast or I don't know like our style or something. And they're like, oh, that's chuggy. The contributions that these younger <laughs> generations are making to our nation and our society and pop culture are just amazing. I mean, we had, you know, over 100 years ago, the Wright brothers flew an airplane and we uh, liberated Europe in World War One, World War Two. We, we put a man on the moon. And now know? I'm reading that Riz is the word of the year in the Smithsonian Magazine. <laughs> You guys, you guys are really changing the world here. Proud of you. Uh, by the way, we're getting together. Uh, do politics better holiday... Cocktail hour. Cocktail hour. Wednesday the 20th. Yeah. We'll put it up on our social media. It's going to be here at our office. We'll have some drinks and we'll have... We'll put the crackling fire on the TV. We will. 
And, you know, you're invited, bipartisan, bicameral, don't even have to be working in North Carolina politics. You listen to the podcast, drop by. And if you have that favorite drink you want to share with other listeners, bring it with you. As long as you take it home after it's party's over. You don't want a mess here? Yeah, we don't. We can't have a mess here. All right. We look forward to sharing more candidate filing news next week. We'll be wrapping that up. Until then, stay warm. It is so cold out there. Have some fun this weekend. And remember to do politics better.